This episode of Life Accelerated is brought to you by Equisoft, a leading global provider of end-to-end cloud-based solutions with deep domain expertise in the life insurance industry. To learn more, visit Equisoft.com. The life insurance industry at its heart has this altruistic mission that I think we're trying to be true to. We're trying to find a way back to that and closer to that mission of, in our terms, fulfilling life. I'm Anthony O'Donnell, editor of Insurance Innovation Reporter, and this is Life Accelerated, a podcast about digital transformation in the life insurance industry. Joining me on this episode is Richard Wiedenbeck, Chief Technology and Transformation Officer of Emeritus. And what does it mean to have a fulfilled life? There's so many dimensions of that well-being that we're trying to connect back to in terms of that mission. Uh, Our challenge, of course, is how do we make it easier to understand? How do we make it easier to buy? How do we make it easier to participate in the products and services that we provide? So I think, you know, that balance is how do we preserve this altruistic mission, which is positive and good. And I think there's a value to it with the way in which we're going to have to go do that in the future. Richard is applying his vast industry experience on both the carrier and vendor side to help this 150-year-old insurer become a truly digital and data-driven company. In our conversation, he shares how Emeritus is working to become insight-driven, how its technology initiatives are driving customer centricity, and how the company is working to attract digitally ready talent. I think we've got to lean into where our customer expectations are moving towards, where products and solutions, the way they're being sold and the way they're being understood and the way they're being participated in over time. And I think it's going to dramatically change uh, how we have to go do that. But I think the core of who we are still holds. One has to reflect on the insurance industry's beginnings, and, and it had different beginnings at different times. But it was an industry where people got together spontaneously to spread their risk. It was something that was understood as having a positive social mission. And I think that is that we're at a stage of the industry where the efficiencies of technology are going to enable us to recover the positive reputation that the industry has had in the past. I think what we're trying to figure out, this idea of well-being, the broad well-being and how a consumer thinks about financial well-being and social well-being and community well-being, and how do our products and services fit into that broader kind of uh, construct. So I I think we're trying to figure out where the consumer is going to go. And in that concept of how they want to buy, I I think you you hit it very clearly. Are they going to want to buy just our products and services the way they were bought, right? There's this old construct in the life insurance industry. Life insurance is sold, not bought. And that's probably true because you get past term insurance and and they're very complex uh, financial products and they have really neat features. I simplify those features in bad things happen and you die, bad things happen and you live. (laughs) And wealth accumulation, there's actually wealth accumulation parts of this and broad financial planning and retirement planning. And how do we make sure that we're putting things together in a way that aligns with the consumer's idea? So that shifts us from a product focus to a customer focus. And and that's new ground. How do we go navigate that new ground? But we got to do it in a way you can maintain the change. Speaking about that evolution uh, and its pace, apart from the central consumer and policyholder relationship question, 
What are some other issues that simply have to do with being a life insurance carrier with today's technology and customer expectations? What's especially interesting and perhaps challenging about the moment we're living through? I think we've got the, right now, we've got the customer acquisition side and the experience that we need to help make that easy. And then we've got the service side of that equation and how are we taking care of you and servicing you over the duration of of that contract or fulfilling that uh, obligation that we made on the acquisition side. And that fulfillment is not a annual thing or a semi-annual thing. When you're really in the life insurance space, that's potentially an 80-year commitment, 70-year commitment, 60-year commitment. If there's a joint spousal rider, it could be 120-year commitment. So we have to think about that side. So on the acquisition side, we're seeing a lot of movement. You and I have talked about this in various occasions on a lot of the insure techs in the life insurance space are leaning into that, I'll call it customer acquisition side. How do we make it easier to connect with the customers, work with it? And I think that's going to evolve more into the how are we integrating up into the platforms in the communities that customers are in themselves, and then how do we make our products available in the natural state of those? But that's where we're seeing a lot of, I'll call it the insurance technology firms leaning. We're not seeing a lot leaning into this kind of service experience, and how are we working on that? Now, I suspect that will change, but I think the economics uh, play out better on the acquisition side than they do on the servicing. And the regulatory requirements play out very differently. At the end of the day, the regulators look at the insurance company as we're the one on the hook for the responsibility to fulfill that promise. And that promise at the end of the day has a financial backing to it. There is a financial component and you need to be strong enough and uh, financially strong enough for a long period of time to make sure you can fulfill that commitment And that commitment is a commitment to fulfill it, again, 70 years from now, 50 years from now. The policies we're putting on our books today, management of the future is the one who has to be around to make sure they do that. So we have to be good stewards to make sure we are in the position where whatever we're doing today puts us in a position to be around 50, 60, 70 years in the future so that when it comes time to fulfill that promise, and to your point, that's how we view it, fulfilling that promise. We're there the day we're supposed to fulfill that promise. So it's kind of a perennial question as to whether a, a carrier strategy focuses on being a, either a manufacturer, a distributor, or a service company, or some kind of combination. So uh, I wonder if you could summarize a little bit how you negotiate to that encroachment, shall we say, on the part of tax, how you work out that balance. Yeah, I think we see it right now, again, with uh, a lot of them focused on what I would call they're just a channel. And we believe that Knowing that we have to take care of the service side, that the policy obligation is ultimately ours, we have to be in a position. So we look at it as what I call one of our major focuses is the business-to-business integration, the ability to quickly on-ramp any of those new uh, players that want to come in and, and give us a channel to market and give us an opportunity to get our product on a shelf or in a store or in an environment is the best analogy I've got for that today. How quickly can I hook to you, give you an opportunity to do that piece? It's more of a channel strategy. We, we think of it as different routes to market, different stores, different shelves, different places, whether that's a little marketplace or it's a fully financial wellness practice that is trying to do solve broader problems. How do we make sure we're showing up in those environments and we can quickly hook to them? And I'd like to say quickly on-ramp them and quickly off-ramp them. That's the balance. How do we make sure we're working with people to do the things that are important to the consumer, but recognizing our role is to still 
own that promise and fulfill that promise. And fulfilling that promise does require us to make sure we can do that and we can fulfill the regulatory obligation as well as the wellness and well-being obligation. Let's get into more detail about how Meritas fulfills that promise that you spoke of in terms of how your organization supports the company. What are the most important areas of work for the company's technology organization? We're all on transformation journeys of some flavor or color. We all are. I think each one, depending on where they started from, is a little different. Ours is very heavily focused on a couple parts. How do we improve the customer experience and the acquisition side? How do we become more operationally efficient and effective? I think it's not just an efficiency play, it's an effectiveness play. And then how do we become more insight-driven? How do we make sure we can use data and analytics to improve where we're going? So I, I think it's multi-pronged across those. I think we have to focus on all three, and we have to try to move the needle on all three of those, especially at Emeritus. And I think most life insurance companies are going to give you a similar story. Where they're starting on each one of those is probably a little different. And how fast or aggressive they're trying to get through them might be a little bit different. We decided to make a major investment in accelerating that journey and pushing hard on it, as opposed to just what I would call the standard investments you make every year in your set of enhancements. We decided to really, truly double down and push that investment up and try to compress it down and get it done in a four to five year period, really kind of push ourselves. And that's really, I think, what justifies the transformation is that that level of investment, that level of push to kind of accelerate that journey and get there. We believe in five years, the world will have changed. So if we take any longer, we'll be another 10 behind. So we've got to get that done in order to line ourselves up to go next, because we think there will be someplace next. Yeah, it's hard to imagine any company that's not dealing with these three major priorities, but let's talk about each of those in turn. How do you see the importance of customer experience and how is that manifested in particular initiatives? Yeah, I think the customer experience side and how it manifests, it's very important. There's producer experience, there's customer experience, and there's how the producer and the customer are interacting with each other. And we have to care about both when you're dealing more in middle market and different income brackets who don't want to go through a financial planner yet. How do we take care of their short-term needs, but maybe set them up maybe $100,000 of investment today or 50000 10 years becomes half a million to more, and you're going to now want a different profile of advice. So how do we move you through that? So I think that's how we look at that. How we're instantiating that is we're looking at obviously making sure that our online, our websites, our portals, our mobile apps, how do we get in and actually take all of those <coughs> concepts and put them to practice? Well, you put them to practice by making sure your websites and your portals are easy to do business, have a little bit of a better UX design, have some design thinking in them, but are also focused on giving you tangible things you can do. And I've heard others struggle with this idea that let's just go create the perfect website and the perfect experience. If you can't do what you need to go do, you're not coming back. We need to give you the transactions that you're after. So I would say it instantiates itself in those websites and portals. It also instantiates itself. Those projects are about pushing into our backend systems and making sure we can push that transaction into the back and bring it back up so that we satisfy your transactional need as fast as possible. I look at banking and go back five, six years and you logged into your credit card, different than you logged into your checking account, different than you logged into your mortgage. And now you log in and you can see them all and you can move between them. And even something as simple as that is a new world for a life insurance company. 
You make an interesting point about the need to make transactions more efficient for customers on the front end. And I guess now we should talk about operational efficiency on the back end. What's different about how you approach it today, given the state of technology, and what opportunities does technology present today? I'm probably going to hit this two-prong. First focus is shifting our focus to, especially when you think about back-end operations, what is the unit cost of a particular back-end business process? So what is the unit cost of claims processing, claims management? What is the unit cost of policy changes? What is the unit cost of billing and collection, pick a major business process. So we start with that unit cost. Now, the number of technologies, we have an opportunity to probably go buy as many packages. The life insurance industry has a lot of opportunity to buy. There's a lot of software vendors that have built good practices. So we can get a lot of automation out of that. We can also get automation by leveraging workflow tools, low-code, no-code tools. So I think I think the obligation is on the technology organization to go take all those technologies and go find a way to improve the unit cost of that transaction end to end. So we've built what we call an automation COE, and it looks at end to end process. How are we going to automate that? How much of that should we automate in a particular package if the package gives it to us? And how much should we automate across or between the package or where do the packages not do it? And we just need to write some type of a quick automation. I know that's simplistic, but I think it's as simple as that. With a focus on I'm driving the cost of the tech pays for itself by the ongoing unit cost change. So your cost curve changes. And so now you get into both efficiency and effectiveness. We want that process to have a higher quality. We want it to have less touches. We want it to have less opportunity for error. So not just faster and and just use tech, but make sure it's got a decent level of quality so that as you're scaling, as volume is cranking up, your ability to execute that transaction at a high quality rate faster and do more with less is there. On the tech side, we got to make sure we're not adding so much complexity, we can't maintain it. Because you and I both know I can build those really fast the first six times, and then I'll get bogged down in maintaining them. So as we're transforming, we want to make sure we're taking all the things that we built that complexity over the last 40 or 50 years, and we're not just building that complexity in new technology. We're actually stripping the technical complexity out as well as stripping out the business process complexity. Sure. Well, let's talk about the data aspect of your agenda now. I sometimes think that in some ways, all the focus on the front end that we've seen in recent years has just been about insurers embracing modern electronic commerce. In their own way, of course, but it's really more about that, about becoming a modern business. Now, do you see data and analytics as an area where more insurance-specific innovation can take place? What's on Emeritus' agenda when it comes to data? So data and analytics is a key part of our transformation agenda, for sure. First and foremost, I used to make this comment that the life insurance company was data-rich, information-poor, and analytically ignorant. And I didn't mean that as a slight. I meant that more as we started in data. We were rich in data. We had a ton of it, but we developed a set of practices in the 60s and 50s and 70s around data that became outdated, and we held on to them maybe a little bit longer. So I think first and foremost, we have to use data and analytics to improve our ability to make informed decisions. Uh, Second, in our transformation, we want to drive AI into those processes. So we know that automation is one thing, but intelligent automation is another level. 
And how do we start driving that in, which then gives us another level up? Now, that affects the workforce because I'm not asking you to be a knowledge worker anymore. I'm asking you to be an intelligent worker. And you now have to work hand in hand with robotics and AI infused and machine learning processes, as well as system automated processes. But we think that's the second prong is how do we go figure out where data and analytics can actually help us make a process better and give some type of a feedback loop on that. And then third is how do we prepare for where we can use that to improve the experience and drive that experience loop. So I think we're starting first with how do we make better management decisions to how do we connect that into being smarter about the way we operate. And then three, how do we tie that back out and, and again, get better at experience? And somebody could choose to go a different route on that. We felt that was the right kind of way for us to get smarter over time and use those technologies in a way to do that. But that's kind of what our approach has been to the data and analytics journey. Having talked about these important areas of work for Emeritus's technology organization, I can't help thinking about the challenges you face in acquiring the skill sets you need as these change. And uh, I wonder what your plan is for doing that. How do you make sure you can attract the talent you're going to need? What we're looking at is how do we create the, I'll call it the digitally enabled workforce. And that is not just an IT challenge, that's a company challenge. So what does it mean to be a digitally enabled workforce? What does that look like on the business side? I think as we cycle back up to why do you have a title that's chief technology and transformation is you have to think about that transformation, not just on the tech side, but on the business side. And this is part of our transformation agenda, figure out what is the digitally enabled workforce look like? And then how do we start to develop the skills, the attributes, the competencies around that to go do it? I think on top of that in the technology place, we all know technology is more of a horizontal market. It's not insurance specific, talent acquisition, approaches and strategies can't be insurance siloed. They have to be multi-industry. I'm looking for some of the same talent that Amazon's looking for and Google's looking for and, and Kroger's looking for and GE's looking for and Procter and Gamble. So a part of our talent strategy is how do we make ourselves an attractive place to work? And this kind of gets back to, I think the world's moving towards this purpose-driven mission-centric. And I think people like that. People want to be associated with a firm that has a purpose and, and a mission that might be a little more altruistic. So we think that's a piece of our talent acquisition puzzle. And then I think the third piece is we're leaning out to strategic technology partners where we can de-risk our talent cycles. We can find places where maybe between internal and an external partner, we can solve the problem together and we can work together but I'll bring it back home to that digital readiness profile. We have to figure out what that looks like for technology, but we have to figure out what that looks like for the business. And, and how we solve those might look a little different. One final question, Richard. What would you regard as the three initiatives that are indispensable that you could not cut from your transformation program? Yeah, and I'm going to go up and take my job as transformation leader on this one because as emeritus, yeah, we're a life insurance company, but we also have a major dental practice. Our transformation of our dental operations is absolutely fundamental to staying competitive in that space. So that one we need to make sure stays. Our, I'll call it business to business integration work, giving us the business flexibility to quickly integrate new business partners in different ways and onboard them and offboard them, I think is critical to our future success. The fundamental automation and straight through processing work in our back office, our internal side, is important. 
so I think those are probably the three. The reason I didn't list kind of what I'll call the website customer experiences, I, I think that work would continue whether we were doing a transformation or not. That is a evolution journey our industry is on, and we would be doing that work regardless of a transformation. This has been an inspiring and encouraging conversation. Richard and I have actually been friends for years, so it was great to catch up with him and hear about how he and his team at Emeritus are approaching digital transformation. Emeritus emerges from this conversation as an excellent example of not just an incumbent insurer, but an institution that has survived changes over a century and a half. The company is ensuring its further survival and success through a carefully calibrated approach to innovation through judicious adoption of technology with a customer-first perspective. As we continue in this podcast series, I look forward to seeing how other life insurers will continue to adapt to a real-time commerce environment with constantly changing customer expectations. Thank you for joining us for the Life Accelerated podcast undertaken by Insurance Innovation Reporter in partnership with Equisoft. For more relevant content to help you achieve digital transformation, please visit equisoft.com slash lifeaccelerated.